new sermon series last week that uh, I've entitled Set Apart. We're kind of going through the book of Romans, and uh, last week I got a little fired up. I got a, I got a little loud last week. I, I, I don't know that that's not going to happen again this week, uh, but I don't think I'm going to last as long as I did last week, so maybe you'll be able to get out of here on time. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. We kind of introduced this whole thought uh, last week with this with the series title is set apart and that really comes from Romans chapter 1 verse 1 where he says Paul a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God and and if you weren't here last week then I encourage you to get on our website and and try to watch the the sermon series uh, if you missed one of those I encourage you to do that the last week's is not up yet we're, we're a couple of weeks behind being gone to Haiti and then Dustin being gone to Arlington with the students but he's the one who kind of formats all those videos for us but we'll get caught up this week so at some point this week just keep checking back and we'll have that up so you can kind of see what all we covered last week I kind of started with this idea of understanding Romans we have to understand Rome and and if you were here you remember I kind of gave you a lot of history about Claudius and Octavia and uh, Agrippa the Younger and Nero and all this kind of stuff that um, if you weren't here then you're going oh, well, why are we talking about those people in church but it gives you a really good background of what all was happening in Rome Rome was kind of the epicenter of of architecture and literature and philosophy and technology and, and development and all this great stuff was happening in Rome and, and there was this this man who came to power named Nero who was really one of the chief persecutors of the Christian faith. Nero uh, came into power after kind of getting himself there. He kind of helped himself out with that and um, and as he was there he he would uh, light Christians on fire and crucify them. He would feed them to lions and to hungry dogs for his, really his own entertainment. He hated the Christians. And when Rome burned, uh, three quarters of the city of Rome burned, he blamed it on the Christians. Most historians say that he was the one who set that fire because he wanted to rebuild Rome in his image. And so it's included a big, huge tower of himself. Just really some neat things that were happening, uh, but awful things that were happening to uh, the Christians. And in the face of that, in, in extreme persecution, in 57 AD, Paul writes this letter to the church in Rome that is very in your face. And it's very uh, kind of upfront about what a Christian is and what they do and he kind of just commands us to live it out and so uh, as we look through some of this uh, scripture I, I want you to remember that this is kind of in the face of Rome I want you to remember that it's going to be in our face as well that we think that we are kind of the epicenter of technology and philosophy and, and architecture and all that kind of stuff we think that we have all the answers just like the Romans thought they had all the answers in this letter that was written nearly 2,000 years ago is still very much in our face and still very much in our kind of uncomfortable area, right? And so it's going to challenge us. I had somebody text me this week, and he said, all Scripture is God-breathed. Romans is God-hyperventilated. And I was like, that's good. That's, I'm going to probably use that because it's so true. There's so much good, good stuff in here that, that we're just going to kind of hit as we work our way through this this summer. We're going to hit some of the, the big major points, and we don't even have time to do all of them because there's so much good stuff in Romans. I challenged you last week, and I, and I continue to encourage you to do this. If you've not read the book of Romans in a while, 
then I encourage you to grab it and read through it this summer. Let that be your summer reading plan. Uh, whether you read a chapter a day or if you read a chapter a week, it doesn't matter. Just, just let that kind of begin the process of kind of unpacking some of the big major things that are in this book. I think it, it will really help you as we kind of begin to walk through this as well. So last week we started with the introduction. We're not going to get much further this week. We're going to go down a few more verses. Still in chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 20, and we'll go through 25. This is really Paul's first challenge to the church in Rome. If you read through this first chapter, he kind of gives his welcome thoughts and uh, he kind of sets himself up of who he is and then he kind of begins to hit us in the mouth and that's where we'll pick up. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and the birds and animals and reptiles therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity to the degrading of their bodies with one another they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than their creator who is forever praised. Amen. There's a lot here, okay? Uh, we're going to begin to kind of take this down. And, and, and what it really boils down to, if we could have a word for the day today, it would be excuses. I, I, I want everybody to understand from the very beginning that Paul's talking about people here who are, who are relatively ignorant of God, who, who would say, I've never been told about God, so I can't be accountable to his teachings. And Paul says, listen, God has made himself known in a thousand different ways to you. Your excuse of ignorance is really no excuse at all. But the reality is for us, we have heard about God. We do know about him and what he wants for our lives. But we're really good at making excuses, right? We, we can come up with reasons for everything that we do and excuses for everything that we don't do. And, and I think that we learn this at a very early age right what's the old um, the dog ate my homework excuse right some of y'all tried to play that off and teachers and teachers may still if you still get that then i'm sorry for that kid but i found a website i was getting online i was looking for things this past week and i found a website that gives good excuses for missing work and bad excuses for missing work so here's some of the good excuses you can give appointments i had a doctor's appointment or i had um uh, a dentist appointment, babysitter problems, car trouble, word for word, colonoscopy, quote, because no one wants to question that, right? <laughs> Death in the family, but, quote, don't overuse that one. Um, a root canal, leaky pipes, a new baby. Those are all acceptable excuses to lie to your boss. Some of y'all are writing those down, like right now, going, okay. Don't tell my boss he's three aisles up from me, right? Here's their bad list. These are actual excuses that were given by employees. Airline lost grandma's body shipping it back for the funeral. I got arrested. That's something you want to tell every one of your bosses. Someone stole the water pipes from my house. Don't think that's possible. The ozone in the air flattened my tire. 
the funeral of my wife's cousin's pet because he was an uncle and a pallbearer. <laughs> or the last one, which is probably my favorite, she used hair remover under her arms and had chemical burns as a result and couldn't put her arms down for the rest of the day. <laughs> like, if you use those excuses, you're kind of stretching it, right? You're kind of going a little further than you should. But think about the excuses that we give God. Think about all the reasons we try to excuse our behavior to Him. I haven't been at church in a while. It's just so hard getting everyone up and ready in the morning. I've just been so busy, I haven't stopped and read my Bible in a very long time. My kids have ball and gymnastics and dance, and we just don't have time for church. I don't want to talk about religion. It makes things too uncomfortable. Paul starts this whole thought by saying, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, eternal power, His divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood for what has been made, so that men are without excuse. The language that he uses here is, is really unique because there's two words in this little passage that we just read that's not used in Scripture anywhere else. He says, From the very beginning, God has made himself and his ways known. They've been clearly seen. That word, clearly seen, is not used anywhere else in Scripture. He's basically saying, he's very uniquely saying that God has pre presented very clearly and has been understood thoroughly from the beginning. Now, I, I love new Christians. New Christians are, are a lot of fun for a lot of reasons, but what they'll end up doing with me is they come up and they say, listen, I didn't know that I needed to watch what was coming out of my mouth. I, I was reading through the Bible, and it says I should be building others up instead of tearing them down. And, and, and man, I, I'm kind of sarcastic, and I can pop off real easily. And so that's something I need to work on. Will you, will you pray for me as I work on the things that come out of my mouth? I, I love that. I, I, to them, I continue to say, good for you. Yes, I'll pray for you. Listen, the more you read, the more you're going to go, wow, i got to watch this area of my life, and i got to watch this area of my life, and i got to watch this area of my life. But here's the reality. Right now, I'm standing in a room of 250 people that know what the Bible says, that, that know what God says about how you're living, and know what God says about how you treat your spouse, and know what God says about how to love Him, and you're just choosing not to do it. You're just choosing to say that I'm just maybe ignorant of that. It's not ignorance when it's disobedience. It's, it's proof to God that what Jesus did on the cross for you wasn't enough. That what Jesus did on the cross, you could take it or leave it. You really don't care that much. And you say, no, man, that's not how I feel. But that's how you live. For us, we, we make all these excuses. We, we kind of shower these excuses out of our mouth to God. And the whole time he's going... But I sent my son to die for you. See, see, when Jesus died, he took away our excuse of our busyness or our schedule or our want to. He said, that's not, that's not a valid excuse. Paul says his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature 
are evident to us every single minute of every single day. And it's our decision to live in them or to live without them. His invisible qualities of mercy and love and forgiveness and grace. These are things you can't necessarily see, but you know they're there. His eternal power to stand in the middle of adversity, to to boldly stand up for what is right and stand up uh, against what is wrong. Jeremy Woodall preached a couple of weeks ago about, and I, he didn't even know that I was going to go into Romans, but TJ was telling me he, he spoke on Romans 1.16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God, right? This is, this is his, his, his power that he gives us, his eternal power to stand up. And then his divine nature. Remember I told you there are two words in that, that that's not used anywhere else in Scripture, this word divine nature. Maybe your Bible has it translated into Godhead. His Godhead. His uniqueness as God. That there is no one else like Him. There has not been anyone that has come before Him or that will come after Him that is like God. His divine nature. Listen, these attributes of God, these qualities, power, and nature are all evident to us. But the question I have for us this morning is what excuse are you giving God, I know about your nature, and I know about your power, and I know about uh, all these incredible qualities that you have. Oh, but, but God, I have all these excuses that I can give. And, and maybe we're just in the habit of making excuses. Like that's, some, that's sometimes wired into who we are. It's very easy to make an excuse instead of just owning up to our responsibility. But for, for just a minute, I'd like for us to get real enough to say, you know what? This is my responsibility. This is on me, God. You have provided everything for me to live in the center of your will. And God, I sometimes choose not to. And that's on me. Men are without excuse. Let's keep reading verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. That sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? How how we knew God and and maybe we choose not to give Him the glory and the praise that we deserve, that He deserves. And and though we think we're so much smarter, in God's eyes we just proved ourselves to be foolish. Ellicott's commentary on this passage of Scripture says this, They knew enough God to know that thanks and praise were due Him, but neither of these did they offer. They put aside the natural instinct of adoration and fell into speculations, which only led them further and further from the truth. The new knowledge of which they were in quest proved to be fiction, but the old knowledge that they had was obscured and lost by their folly. I love how beautifully written that it is. Remember Paul's audience in Rome, this philosophical capital of the world. All the Greek philosophy from 400 years past with Aristotle and Plato and all those guys that we know their names but we don't know a whole lot about them. They, they have taken all of that and carried it to Rome. In 200 BC, Rome conquered Greece. Okay? And so they took all their, their philosophical thoughts and, and, and their, their mindset and all this kind of higher education thinking and carried it to Rome and continued to expound on it and teach through it and talk about it over and over and over. They've been doing this for 200 years. And 
And Paul comes in and he says, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. This is such a slap in the face to Roman philosophy. This is a slap in the face to the modern thinkers of their day. He called them all fools. Now to us, we hear that and, and we think maybe that's not as bad as it is, but it's, it's, this is the worst insult that he could give them to call them fools. This Greek word fool is morino, which sounds a lot like, and where we get our word, moron, right? He looks at them all and says, you're a moron. You're a bunch of morons. Listen, you can't live life like you want to and expect for God to continue to walk and talk and and, and be real to you. You've got to live life like He wants you to. And he's going to continue to pour into you, pour into you, and pour into you until you go, I am, I am overflowing with what God has for me. We, if we want to live life on our own, Paul here and your pastor here is calling you a moron. It's not a very smart way to live. But we think we're so elevated in our thinking. We, we know what's best for us. I can do what I want to do because I'm not hurting anybody but me, and I know what's best for me and Paul says this is crazy you cannot do this you traded him in for something else you knew that you should be giving him thanks and praise but you traded him in exchanged the glory of God for the uh, the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like man and birds and animals and reptiles which begs the question What are you trading God in for? The easy answer to that is power, money, fame. Those are all easy church answers. But let's get real. How about exchanging the glory of God for convenience? It's easier to do what you want to do. It's easier to sleep in and be uninvolved in church than to get up and get everybody here because it's a priority to your family. It's easier not to bring up religion in conversation because it makes things tense or uncertain. It's easier to show up to church and go through the motions and live like you want to live and just play games with God. A lot of us are exchanging the truth and the glory of God for convenience. Some of us exchange the glory of God for selfishness for a drink in your hand or a website that you look at or the feeling that you get when someone flirts back selfishness you live your life on your terms and you don't care how it affects anybody else much less your spouse or your kids or your family or your friends or your church we exchange that for what we want because we know best It's my money. It's my time. It's my energy. It's my life. It's my possessions. I get to do what I want to do. Selfishness. Maybe you're exchanging the glory of God for shallowness. This is, we don't really think about it like this, but some of us don't go deep with God. You've been saved, you went to Sunday school. You go to church, you, you know a lot about God, but you don't really apply it to your own life. You just like to stay pretty shallow with God. You've got enough Jesus to make you feel good, but you don't need 
a whole lot more. It's easier to be the life of the party or to be the funny guy or the girl, to crack jokes and to, to be the icebreaker than it is to be deep. Because, see, I know this because there's a lot of people who, who go shallow with just about everybody else, too. They don't just go shallow with God, but they go shallow with just about everybody else, too. It's hard to get real. And when it's time, you just don't. You just choose not to. And your shallowness has proven to be your downfall. And a lot of you say, well, that's just how I'm wired. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the, the comedic relief. Listen, when I was in college forever ago uh, with my undergraduate degree, I, I had to, my final thesis thing for my, um, my speech communication degree was that I had to write this big paper and present this thought and, and theory of communication styles. And, and I did it on family dynamics, on family communication, and, and how, um, I think I even named it campfire communication because we were uh, always around a campfire and, and, and hunting and all that kind of stuff as a kid. And, and I talked about how different people in the family did play different roles. Somebody may be a, a peace, my dad is kind of a peacemaker, kind of a, really, he's really more of a peacekeeper. Um, my uh, my sister is um, she plays a certain role. I played the comedic relief. If things got weird or they got tense or they got, I would just do something or say something stupid, so that everybody would laugh and the tension would break and we kind of keep going and keep talking about whatever it is that we needed to talk about. Or maybe it would just end that conversation and start a whole new one. And 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 some of you, I, I get it. Some of us are wired like that. Some of us would rather say something silly than have real conversations. Listen, he's, I don't know if, yeah, I love Jerry West. I love Jerry. And I'm not going to use the word that Paul used about a moron when I talk about Jerry. I'm not going to do that. But here's what I've gotten to do. Over the last two years, Jerry's gone to Haiti with us. And I've spent a lot of time with Jerry. And Jerry is funny. Jerry's just, he's just dumb funny. Like, he'll just say something that you go, where in the world did that come from? And everybody's just laughing. But here's what I love about Jerry. When it's time to get serious, Jerry gets serious. And he goes deep. And, and he can be funny. And we can be walking from house to house. And he was in my group this year. And we'd go to one house and we'd start talking. And man, the conversation would just narrow down. And we'd start sharing Jesus with somebody. And, uh, and Jerry would be a participant that we were all just kind of firing off questions and kind of talking around. And then as soon as we left that house and we're starting walking somewhere else, he'd say something just dumb and just break the ice and get everybody laughing and we kept a good mood. And then we'd go to the next house and as soon as we got in that house, it was time to do business. Listen, a lot of you stay at that shallow level where you just, you just don't want to go deep with God. You don't want to go deep with anybody. And we're exchanging the truth and the glory of God for shallowness because we're afraid. Honestly, if we get down right down to it, we're, we're afraid we have some, probably some major insecurities in our life where we don't want God to really bring those to the surface and deal with them. Because when we let God in, then we've got to deal with the stuff that He pulls out. And we go, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there because I just don't want to. And God's calling you to a deep, fulfilling, real, truthful relationship with Him, honest and transparent. And you're saying, no. No, I'd rather just keep it surface level if that's okay, God, because I just don't want to go that deep with you. You're exchanging the glory of God for shallowness. And guess who that's on? That's on you. It's not on him. You can't blame him. God, this is how you wired me. No. 
He wired you for an intimate relationship with Him. And it's on you to develop it. It's on you to get real. It's on you to get deep. Some translations have this, this verse as they change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. I love that. I think that's the King James Version. Because here's what it says. We can do nothing to change God. We can do nothing to change His character. We can do nothing to change His mercy. We can do nothing to change who He is. But what we do is continue to corrupt ourselves. We continue to dig our hole deeper and deeper and deeper. So what happens? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Listen. Here's what happens when you run from God. When you excuse Him and exchange Him for something else, He'll give you what you're chasing after. Remember that old, that old saying, be careful for what you wish for, you just might get it, right? This is the same thought when it comes to God. You show God over and over and over again that He's just not really that important to you, then, then you'll find out what it really means to need Him. You, you continue to show God how much time you don't really have for Him, and He'll clear your schedule by any means possible. You show God that you're more concerned about your plan for your life than His plan for your life, and He'll show you exactly what your selfishness gets you. Does He leave us? No. Does He unsave us? No, it's not possible. But what He does is He teaches us, and He corrects us, and He will give us over to our sinful desires. Listen, I, I told this story a couple of years ago. Brody broke his leg. He was six. It was about three years ago. Spring break. Took the students to Altitude Trampoline Park, a.k.a. Hell on Earth. And he got double bounced by a big kid. Did not mean to. It was totally an accident. And as soon as I walked over to him, I knew his leg was broken. It was bent the wrong way. And leading up weeks to this, we were just running from one thing to the other to the other to the other. And we just didn't have very much family time. We didn't have a whole lot of time for each other. We didn't have a whole lot of time um, to do much of anything other than just run from the next thing to the next. And I remember about three days after Brody broke his leg, we were just sitting in the house, and everything just stops when your kid's hurt. Everything becomes very unimportant when your kid's hurt. And I looked at Jess, and I remember saying... Well, this is one way God can slow us down. And she said, yeah, it is. I said, I sure wish we would have learned that lesson without Brody having to be part of the, part of the equation. Now, did, did God break Brody's leg? I, I, don't, I don't think so, but I think he allowed it. Did he do it to slow us down? I don't know. But in that moment, God spoke to me. He said, stop with all the extra and focus on what's most important. For those six weeks he was in the cast, he couldn't walk across the living room floor. I had to carry him everywhere he went. If he, if he had to go uh, get a drink of water, we had to go get it for him. If he had to go to the bathroom, we had to carry him to the bathroom. If it was time to go to bed, we carried him from one room to the next. He was, everything stopped 
and we started focusing on what was most important. We spent a lot of great time with our kids. We went and did fun things as a family. We cut out all the extra and focused on what was most important. He loved it. He was like the attention king of everybody. He got to go to student ministry on Wednesday nights because he couldn't run around with all the iKids kids. And then, of course, what happened with all the little senior high girls, they'd just come over and just lick him. And he was just like, oh, this is great. I'm going to break my other leg when this is over with, right? But it, it's, it caused us to calm down. It caused us to stop and to really put things into perspective. And, and, and Paul's saying here, listen, when, when you continue to show God how un, unimportant he is, then he's going to show you how really important he is. And he's going to get your attention in a thousand different ways. Listen, it's easier. I, from experience on levels that you guys don't even know, it's easier for you to come to a repentant heart and say, God, you know what? I've been living life under my terms, and I'm sorry, and I need to stop, and I need to, I need to start surrendering to you. I need to really start living life like I'm supposed to, and I want to put away all this selfishness and all this shallowness and all this extra and all the other things that I just exchange you for, God, and I want to be real. I need you to show up in a real way. And he will show up. And he will forgive. And he will build you up. And it may be a painful process, but it's going to be worth it. He's going to, he's going to establish you on what's most important, which is him. And he takes over from there. And then Paul says this very interesting thing. He gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to... Uh, I'm sorry, sinful desires of their hearts. And, it's very important to realize where this all starts. Because we feel like sometimes life happens to us externally. But when we read this, we go, this comes from within. This starts in our hearts. This is all motivated from our, our seat of emotion and desire and, and want. And it just fleshes itself out. We have to remember that this is not something that's happening to us this is happening that's within us our sinful desires of our hearts and then he he tags this statement behind it it's very interesting that he gives them over to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another and i read this a couple of weeks ago and i just thought why why does that scripture always seem to correlate sinful desires of our hearts with sexual impurity living our life on our term with sexual impurity and the degrading of our bodies. They're, they're, they're kind of inevitably linked in Scripture over and over again. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 10, Galatians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Jude chapter 1 all talks about sexual immorality being indelibly linked to us living life on our own terms. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. We believe the lie. That's why. We, we think if it feels good to us, then somehow this will sustain us. And we believe the lie that whatever makes me happy and I feel complete, it's okay. And God says, listen, this is so, so intimately tied. I... If you're living life by your own rules, if you're doing whatever you want to do and playing games with God, then I'm, I'm telling you, Scripture's telling you, and I'm telling you as your pastor, you are flirting with 
with degrading yourself on a level you don't even understand. And you go, I would never do that. But if you've turned your back on what God wants for you, you don't know what you'll do next. And that Paul's giving us an incredible warning. He says, you exchange the truth of God, which you know to be the only thing that can sustain you, the only thing that can really complete you and make you feel like you're whole. You exchange that for a lie. And it's going to lead you down a road that you don't want any part of. We worship and serve ourselves, our desires, our passions, and our lusts instead of the Creator. So the question is, as we end today, we wrap up. Three questions, really. Number one, what excuses are you giving? Some of you... Some of you may have given excuses this morning. And that's not to guilt trip you into coming to Sunday school. But if you're not coming to Sunday school, then you're getting half of Sunday morning. You're getting, you're getting a worship experience, but you're not getting a small group experience. And you need to be a part of that small group experience. And some of you may, may be here right now because I can't talk about the people who aren't in church because they're not going to hear me. But if you're here this morning and you said, Well, I didn't have time to get it together this morning to come to Sunday school. Listen, people get sick, kids get sick, that's, I'm not, nobody's holding your attendance hostage. But when you know what's important, and you say, well, it's okay, God understands, I'm just really tired. Or, God understands, we've just been real busy. Or, my kid really likes to play baseball, and they play on the weekends, and so, God understands, we're having family time. No, you're not. What excuses are you giving God, what are you exchanging God for? Is it selfishness? Is it convenience? What are you exchanging that glory of God for? And lastly, what lie are you believing? What lie have you told yourself over and over and over again enough that you think maybe this is true? Maybe this is what life is really about. Maybe this whole church thing and whole God thing, maybe that's just a part of it, but this is the real... Listen, church, we've got a lot of people who know better, who ignorance is not an excuse. And so the challenge to us today is to live it, to own it, own our excuses, own our... our our lie that we've been leaving, own it all and say, okay, God, here's, here's the deal. I just want to be real. I just want to be honest. I want to quit playing games. And I want to quit acting like things are okay when things aren't okay. And it's okay for things not to be okay. We come to church and we think we've got to act like we've got it all together. And that's, that's not the purpose of church. Some of us need to just get real honest and say, you know what, God, I've been making a lot of excuses. I've been exchanging you for a lot of things. And God, I just need to be real. I want to be real today. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our 
uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.